This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, we're going to dive into great toe mobility. But before we get into that, this morning before I came to work, as I was sipping on my third cup of coffee and surfing through my news feed, I stumbled across an ad, or actually an ad may have stumbled across me due to my algorithm, and it was from one of these many, many cash physical therapy gurus, one of these people that, that sells you business advice and business coaching. And I've seen this person pop up from time to time, and what I've noticed was that the ads have suddenly changed from cash physical therapy is the best thing in the world, the end all be all, to now hybrid therapy is the best thing, and I can help you with your hybrid practice. And if you're not in the industry, the definitions cash PT is just another term that is synonymous with out-of-network physical therapy practice, a physical therapy practice that does not take any insurances and you pay a predetermined rate, use a flat rate or some type of prepackaged deal. And hybrid clinic is just another term for a regular physical therapy practice. So a physical therapy practice that is in network with insurances, but also offers a cash pay option, which is what our clinic is, which is essentially what every physical therapy clinic that is not cash-based is, including the, the big the big mill clinics, as we like to call them. And when I saw this ad, it brought up some quote that I don't know who originally came up with it. And what it says is that every movement, no matter how noble the cause, eventually becomes a grift. A grift meaning some sort of swindle, some sort of money-making scheme. And what I'm starting to see in the physical therapy space is there is just a growing number of these uh, physical therapy business gurus and it kind of makes my spidey senses tingle because for the most part I, I haven't seen any of these people actually bear the fruit that they're selling you that, that hey we're gonna we're gonna coach you to help you grow and scale your practice we're gonna make you financially independent we're gonna make it to where you don't even need to work you need to treat patients because your business is gonna be running itself. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is this the case? Why are people making a business out of telling other physical therapists how to make a business? And I think it goes back to the fact that they are fulfilling a need. So what is that need? And what I have to do with this is I have to empathize and I have to put myself in the shoes of a young person, a young physical therapist, someone who is in school, just graduated, maybe a couple years out of school. Either they're just not happy with their current state, which is fine, I think I think perpetual growth is a good thing, or maybe they're just looking around to see what's out there. So you have to really go back all the way to the time that you're a kid, and I'm talking about grade school, 12 years of that. Then you have four years of getting your bachelor's degree, and then depending on where you go to school, you got an additional two to three, maybe three and a half years of physical therapy school. That's like 18 to 20 years of schooling. And all the while, we're basically, and I'm no different, I was in this, but we're being indoctrinated that, listen, you, you have to go to school. You have to go to college. It's the only way that you're gonna be successful in life. If you just put all your eggs in this basket and you make good grades, you're gonna be financially independent, it's gonna take care of your problems, and you're gonna live happily ever after. 
Now we know that's not the case. Matter of fact, anecdotally, the biggest ballers I know were plumbers and electricians absolutely killing it. But what happens in the physical therapy world is you go straight through school for pretty much your whole life when you're a young 20-something, and you come out of school with $100,000 plus in debt. I've heard horror stories. People have upwards of 200000 and your income is not anywhere close to that, not even, not even close to half of that, okay? And you're not getting what has been sold to you all along, not just in grade school, but actually in physical therapy school from some of these professors that haven't practiced since the Clinton administration. And if you keep up with the price of inflation, case in point today is 123.23. A dozen eggs at Aldi, the cheap eggs, is, is $4.99. And if you compare that to salaries, for the most part, they really haven't changed. And in some cases, they have even gone down over the last 10 years. I know at least in South Carolina, the, the Blues are major players here in the state. The reimbursement hasn't changed since the Balanced Budget Act got passed in 1996. And if you look at the, the bigger scale, you look at the federal payers, Medicare, they're actually continually cutting pay, right? So that, therefore, physical therapy reimbursement is becoming less and less, and we're not seeing these rising salaries that match the rising tuition, the rising cost of living, just pretty much everything else out there. And so the proposed solution is, hey, let's not even deal with insurance. Let's, let's charge what we're worth. Let's be cash PTs. We're gonna, depending on where you live, we're gonna charge a minimum of 150, maybe always all the way up to $300 a session, especially if you live on the West Coast. Now you may think that I just made a case for cash PT. That's your solution. But here's the problem. It's not what the people want, at least not yet. It's not what our patients want. Okay, there's a reason why the, the as much crap as we talk about them, the, the big box players, the, the I'm not gonna name any names right now, but some of the ones that actually went public a couple years ago are still killing it, are still opening up multiple clinics across the entire U.S. every single year. And that's a reflection of what the majority as a whole still wants. Just like I mentioned we're indoctrinated as we go through grade schooling, we're also indoctrinated that, hey, we have health insurance. I pay for this health insurance. I'm going to use my health insurance. I'm going to seek out a provider that is in network with my health insurance. And so I go back to the, the gurus that are trying to fulfill this need and sort of play off the, the psychology of the consumer, that being the young physical therapist who's in debt, who's frustrated with their job, who got slapped in the face by reality when they figured out that their salary isn't what they thought it was going to be while they were growing up and going through physical therapy school. And, and I, liken it, I liken it a lot to karate. I, I like martial arts, I like karate. It was a big thing around here in the 90s, but the way it worked was that you would start as a white belt and your sensei would tell you, all right, just, just stick with me. Let's go through progressions over these next five to 10 years and I'm gonna teach you all the secrets. Come to my weekend seminars, pay extra. You're gonna learn all the secrets. And eventually get your black belt, five to 10 years passes, and then you find out your sensei has actually never been in a fight in their whole life. And what I've observed in the cash PT world is that a lot of the people who are selling you advice have actually, they never bore that fruit themselves. I have yet to see a K1 
cash PT practice that has grown itself to be anything substantial. You know, maybe there's some that have hired two, maybe three employees, but most of them aren't anywhere close to full time. Now I could be wrong, and if I am, please point me in the right direction. I am certainly open to, to criticism here in this regard, but I haven't seen it yet. So I'm looking at the timer here and I've spent the better part of eight minutes ranting and complaining about something. So need to offer some type of solution here. So if you do find yourself in this state where you, you need some help and, and, and there's a lot of good stuff out there in the self-help space and I think that's for good reason because we can take advantage of the internet and the instant access information and people are always trying to better themselves. But my first piece of advice would be when it comes to business, just seek advice from those who have done it, those who are in the position where you want to be, where they are actually financially independent, where they have grown their practice. Uh, by the way, don't reach out to me because I'm not a business guru. I would also say that if you are an existing cash PT and you feel like, look, I've done this a couple years, I'm spinning my wheels, it's still just me, it's still me and you know, one other person who's working PRN, working here or there, that kind of thing. I can't take a vacation because I'm still living paycheck to paycheck or I'm still having to work PRN to supplement income, I would, I would do this. I would call your buddy at the big box, get a hold of their fee schedule, whatever state you're in, just look at the matrix of what all their payers are, what their reimbursements are per CPT code, and you might be surprised that there's probably one or two of those payers that would actually pay you well enough to make a profit, to pay yourself, to pay your bills, and that could actually be the catalyst you need to finally grow your practice from one physical therapist to five to ten over the course of just a few years. The other thing, and this is a little bit outside of what we talked about so far, is I've noticed a, a, a trend, if you want to call it that, but I've actually seen a few business acquisitions over the last few years where physical therapists have bought existing cash PT practices. My, I, I would perceive a caution with that because what I've also seen is when they buy this practice, they start working, they are busting their ass, and don't get me wrong, you have to bust your ass, there's no way around that, you gotta do the work, but they're having to spend just as much time, if not more, working PRN at the local hospital, at the local skilled nursing facility, just to make ends meet than they are working in their actual practice. And so for the life of me, I can't understand why if you're gonna do this, if you're gonna go all in, put your time, efforts, money into it, why don't you just hang your own shingle up and put your own name on your door and do it yourself? Every good gym session needs good music. And whether I'm taking the gym outside or training in the garage, I've been using the Turtle Box as my go-to portable Bluetooth speaker. The Turtle Box is the loudest and toughest speaker on the market. And not only does it cut through the noise, but I can bring it anywhere. I know I'll have tunes wherever I train, whether in the garage gym, track, or on the beach with the Turtle Box. 
The sound quality on the speaker is so good and it's so loud, my neighbors have gone from getting pissed at me for slamming weights in my garage gym to being angry because they can hear Rick Ross stumping from four houses away. Don't believe me? Try it out. The guys at TurtleBox are hooking us up with a 60-day risk-free trial, and if you don't love TurtleBox, send it back. Check them out at TurtleBoxAudio.com and use the code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, for an exclusive Better Faster podcast all. But overall, I do think Cash PT is very much a noble cause, and I did it. I did it for two years, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure that I could have had the success I had when I started Vertex if I had not parlayed all the things that I did, the reputation, the clientele that I've built. But again, if we're looking at a long-term growth strategy, you may want to rethink what you're currently doing. Having said that though, I am very much a big fan of capitalism and I will take your money. So be sure to take advantage of the links that we have in the show notes, especially that MedBridge. Um, Y'all have been very, very supportive with that and you need CEUs, you gotta have it. So why not use that discount code better, faster pod. So let's talk about great toe mobility. We did a poll on the Better Faster Podcast Instagram a while back, and it was given options about what you wanted the next episode to be. And big toe mobility was like number one or number two. I can't remember it, but it was up there. And I was thinking about this in a couple different ways. One is that this joint is super important, but oftentimes very, very simple to treat. And it's not something that I think you need to get too complex with. So let's let's paint the picture about the typical avatar here. There, there's, gosh, there's so many cases in which you need to address this joint here. And you can go with the, the straightforward ones. Somebody comes in, how it's rigid is. It's when I push off, when I roll off my toe, when I walk, it hurts. Or you have someone who maybe developed that after turf toe, which is kind of the opposite. Turf toe is when you have an instability issue and you sprained those ligaments on the plantar side, so that'd be the, the bottom of the MTP joint. That's where the big toe meets the foot. And oftentimes you're gonna get semi-immobilized, right? A lot of times you'll put a plate in the shoe. And once patients get that, a lot of times they get sent on their way, and then a few months go by and then the toe heals, but it actually gets stiff, and then you gotta figure out how you're gonna regain that mobility. There's also those weird cases that come in where you got a patient with anterior knee pain and you think it's gonna be pretty straightforward and patient's done everything. They've, they've loaded, they've done heavy sore resistance for patellar tendinopathy, they've changed their movement pattern, so on and so forth. And if you just look a little more distal, sometimes you'll see that there's a lack of big toe extension and that's affecting things higher up the chain. That's that regional interdependence, which we'll get to in a minute. The other thing too, another that had me thinking about this topic was I was talking to a colleague and he was making a case about how he believes that a lot of acute Achilles tendon injuries, especially those ruptures, are directly correlated with a lack of great toe extension, especially in the basketball population. And this is where you kind of dive into the conversation about efficiency. And I'm gonna just use random numbers here, but let's say that you're taking a step and you're going to push off and you need that big toe extension. You ideally want to disperse forces from joint to joint to joint. So meaning let's say you need 50 Newtons to go through the first MTP, that big toe joint, and then 50 Newtons to the midfoot, and then 50 Newtons to the ankle, so on and so forth. If you're lacking 
that great toe extension, then that force has got to go somewhere. Nothing's free, and so it's going to go somewhere higher up the chain. And then just a more commonsensical approach here, just think about what you see. When you have a patient come in and you have them take their shoes off, hopefully you have them take their shoes off, and you just watch them walk. If they are lacking that big toe extension, what are they going to do? They're probably going to turn their feet out. And we know that if you're excellent rotated everted, that that's going to drive the knee into a little bit of a valgus position. That's going to affect some things higher up the chain into the hip as well. You could make a case for it traveling all the way up to into the back. I'm not a big fan of just saying, oh, everything's connected without giving a good reason for that. But in my opinion, this is a really easy one to look at that regional interdependence. And the thing about that is that in some ways as a profession, we've kind of, and I think for the most part for good reason, we've gotten away from trying to deal with asymmetries and, and things of that nature. And I agree, human beings are not symmetrical. You, I don't think there's a perfectly symmetrical human being on this planet. However, sometimes these things can certainly be relevant, especially whenever their sport, their movement, their goals require symmetry in order to be efficient, right? So we're not always looking at it from a pain standpoint. We're oftentimes thinking, how can we be the most efficient in the way that we move? And so as far as assessment goes, this stuff is really, really simple because when we're talking about great toe extension, we're really talking about passive great toe extension. So literally just simple as after you've done your movement assessment and maybe you picked up on some of these things when you watched the person walk and they turned their feet out. They squatted and they turned a foot out on their affected side or you had them get into a push-up plank position, demonstrate a lunge and it hurt. It hurt because they could not get their toe pulled into the fully extended position. Then that should be ringing a bell for you there. And so you, you just get the patient on the table with your legs out straight and you just simply take your thumbs and you push those big toes back. I think the textbook's gonna tell you that you need 70 degrees of passive great toe extension, but it's just really simple just to look side to side. And a lot of times it just jumps right, right out at you, okay? So let's say you have a patient who has a ton of great toe extension. So they got like 70 to 90, you're probably like a dancer or something like that. And then on the other side, the side that you found the stiffness, the, the treatment side, they only have, I don't know, 45, 50, we'll throw some numbers out there, but a big obvious difference. Your follow-up question should be, okay, where do you feel that? Do you feel that on the top side, bottom side? That's what I usually say. You can say opening, closing side, whatever. So typically if they feel that on the bottom of the foot, the bottom of the toe joint, then we're dealing with a soft tissue extensibility issue. If they feel it at the top, they were probably dealing more with a joint locking type of thing. Now in reality, I always throw a little bit of treatment at both areas. I address the joint and address the soft tissue. I mean, I think honestly, if you're ever doing something directed at one, you're always influencing the other. But that's a really simple question to get some buy-in and help the patient kind of figure out what's going on as well too. If we determine that the patient has some stiffness there, I got this, this, I'm just kind of show you like my day one stuff. And again, trying to keep this very, very simple. You might have different ways you treat this. They're literally in, endless combinations, but these are things that tend to work for everybody. So first thing I'm going to do is if that toe is stiff, I am going to generally do some of your classic Maitland mobilizations, right? The ones we get first year PT school where you're going to grasp either side of the joint, bunch the skin, pull it apart, 
do some glides. Now the textbook's gonna sell, tell you dorsal glides, but we know the direction doesn't matter a ton. I go in every direction. Dorsal, plantar, little twisting. Uh, make sure you check varus and valgus because a lot of times that, that can actually uh, disguise itself a little bit as a lack of great toe extension. And just move the heck out of that thing, especially if they can tolerate it and it's not painful. Periodically just take it in range extension. And then the second move I like to follow this up with, and let me know if y'all want me to do a supplemental video. I can do this and put this on the gram, but just hit me up in the inbox. But I actually like to basically do the, the same kind of glide addressed to the MTP. So what I'll have the patient do is get into a half kneeling position and their foot's in front of me, so I'm facing their toes. They are going to just lift their heel up. So they're basically, using leverage to pull their, toe, their toes back. So all their weight's basically on their first MTP and their toes. And I'm gonna give a plantar glide to that distal MTP. So just right above the big toe, okay? Now with that, a lot of times I am just doing, giving a little bit of love to the, the, the rest of the joints as well. You know, some midfoot, forefoot, some intermetatarsal stuff. But really my efforts, my emphasis is gonna be at that big toe. Now I mentioned a lot of times I will do some soft tissue work in addition to addressing the joints. So that's when we get into some things directed towards the arch, ART, but we have it on the website. People come in to see me for ART. So I will do some ART to the big toe flexor. That flexor house is longest and that's really simple. All you're doing, I used to say shorten, pin, and stretch, but the, the terminology I use is they'll say, you'll shorten, create depth, get some tension, take it to an elongated position. But basically I'm working all the way from the big toe all the way up to the back of the leg, right? Because we know that that flexor houses longest crosses the ankle. Um, you could just as well do some type of scraping, lacrosse ball, whatever, everything works. So we've done our modes, we did some type of, some type of soft tissue to give a little bit of love, and then we gotta figure out what are we going to do to actively work these new positions to make it stick. And this is one where I really like the pails and rails a lot. So the pails and rails for the big toe, again, if I've just done that mobilization where they're already up on the table and they're half kneeling and we did that plantar glide to the first metatarsal, pails and rails, really, really simple, right? I'm gonna usually either have them passively or I'm gonna passively lift that big up toe up to extension. We're gonna spend some time doing some isometric holds that they're actively push that toe down either into my hand or into an object, golf balls, all of, you can grade those, all the lacrosse balls work well for this. And then you're gonna cue them to actively extend that toe, right? So now they're owning that new range of motion. Really great tool, I find that that's very, very effective. And if you then have them sit down and log sitting and you pull those toes back again, look at that passive great toe extension, a lot of times you get an instant increase. Visually, they can see it, you can see it, they can feel it, and they're balled in. Now, it's one of those things where I tell the patient, listen, if we don't do the homework, we don't follow this up with some active movement, it's gonna tighten right back up. It could tighten up in two hours, two days, two weeks, but we gotta do some things just to keep this moving along, and blah, 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 the spiel goes in the clinic, you're gonna make 10 steps forward, eight steps back, so let's figure out what we need to do at home. So, after we do all that manual therapy stuff, and pails and rails, you can categorize that as a Therax if you want, I usually go straight into the toe cars. The toe cars is, the first, the first step is actually known as the toe yoga. I'm sure a lot of y'all are familiar with that, but that's whenever you basically have the patient in barefoot. If you start them in seated, you can do it in standing, and they're alternating between keeping the big toes down, lifting the little toes up, 
keeping the little toes down, lifting the big toe up, not clawing them in actively at any point. That's step one. Step two is when you lift all 10 toes up, then you alternate between tapping just the big toes down, up and down, and then tapping all eight of the little toes on both sides. Step three is a piano. You lift all 10 toes up, and then you're just gonna one at a time touch the fifth toe, fourth toe, third toe, second toe, and then find the big toe, and just piano back and forth. Not everybody can do that. It's kind of difficult, especially if people have bunions and just a, there's a medical history involving their feet, but it is a good place to try. It gives them something to, to work on, at least getting the step one. But again, it's not the end all be all. After that, you were talking day one. I usually will have them follow up with some type of barefoot ambulation. So this could be as simple as just cueing them on finding some symmetry in the way they walk, especially if they're excessively turning that toe out. Now they should have a little more degrees of freedom to walk a little more quote unquote normal. We, we all know everybody has a different gait pattern, but we'll call it normal. If they're a little more athletic and this is more of an acute issue that they haven't been dealing with for a long time, I will take them into the runner's march. So the runner's march is one of Chris Johnson's things. We're barefoot, we are marching in slow motion. So we get a little bit of single leg stance phase. And then on the way down, when that front foot is making contact, we are cueing a light contact, spread the toes, gently bring the heel down. It's really comfortable. You're not asking the patient to pull back into a ton of great toe extension during this. And a lot of times just the combo of teaching them a self-mobilization, teaching them some self-pails and rails, and just having them bring some awareness to actually moving those toes, walking around barefoot a little bit. It's some good day one stuff where you're not gonna blow them up and they'll actually come back and see you again. So visit two stuff, you can quickly reassess and see if they were able to continue to maintain that, that range of motion that you and the patient work for, see if it's stuck. And this is typically where I'm spending a little more time addressing things further up the chain. So, you know, day one, I'm trying to get some intrasessional change. I'm trying to get some buy-in. I'm trying to get them just to do the basics. But a lot of times people come with stiff toes, they got stiff ankles. So you're gonna to have to address that too with whatever type of ankle dorsiflexion mobilizations you like to do. Typically the, the, the classic banded bastardized mulligan works really well and you can follow up some type of loading, but we know there's a million ways to treat that. If you're gonna address ankle dorsiflexion, make sure you look at tibial internal rotation and tibial lateral rise. We have an episode on that from way back in the day. You have to go search for that, but it's in there. It's in the queue somewhere. And going back to the big toe itself, as long as they're not too blown up, we're gonna go ahead and start actually using a little bit more body weight, pushing them into great toe extension. So we may repeat the moves and some soft tissue work that we worked on from day one, but what I'm also doing at, after this is I'm going to do some type of easy sort of graded loading with this. The first thing I usually do with, with folks that come in like this is I will basically just get them in a very simple quadruped position with the toes pulled towards their shins and I'm having them just gently rock back. I think some people call this a win last child's pose. Whatever you wanna name it is fine, but they're just gently using partial body weight and just rocking back and forth in an oscillating fashion. And I'm using this and kind of watching their face just to see if they're gonna be able to tolerate some type of a, of a loaded pattern here. That goes well. What I'm thinking next is that we wanna to start to introduce the lunge pattern. And I'm not just gonna have them jump straight into some type of traveling lunge or reverse lunge. I like to use the sliders for this. So I usually will put a slider underneath the affected foot. I'll give them a stick or two to hold on to so this doesn't become a balance exercise. And they are just gonna gently 
slide their foot back and gradually shift their weight as much as they can tolerate. I usually cue them just to internally rotate the hip because we know for the lunge pattern, when the hip's extended, you're gonna have more motion through those joints if you're internally rotated. And I'll have them just do a few easy reps, just oscillating into their end range, backing off. If they can get their knee down, then that's a big win. That's not always gonna happen on day one, but again, that's a good way for them to be able to introduce some load to where if it ends up being too much, they can easily bail. If that goes well, now we're getting a little more load going through this. So from here, that's when I'm usually going to introduce some crawling patterns, bear crawls. Just to make it interesting, I, I, everybody goes forward, that's an easy one. If they can handle going backwards, we'll introduce that, a little bit of lateral movement, a little bit of side-to-side -side stuff. And a lot of times, if they, can, if they can tolerate that, then we know that we can probably move on to some things that are more aggressive. And then that's going to take us to a rear foot elevated split squat. Now, Personally, when I do these in the gym, I am actually throwing my foot up on a pad to where my toes aren't making contact with anything. But for these patients whom I'm trying to get some great toe extension back, I would like to get more aggressive with it. So I will actually throw their rear foot up on a bench and have their ankle and toes dorsiflexed if they can tolerate it. I like to use this as a, a test. I like to see if they can, it's almost like a clearance test to see if they'll then be able to take it a step further and get to more dynamic tasks. Usually if they can do this, they're good to go. This isn't the only thing I do. These are just some of my go-tos. There's other things like we'll do the wind last heel raises like we do for plantar fasciopathy patients. Doing several different types of balance exercises, squat variations. A lot of times I'll have them do loaded carries while they're on their, their toes, the balls of their feet, things of that nature. But the ones that I spend the most time talking about are kind of my meat. Uh, it's kind of the things that I, that I like to spend most of the time, so the meat of the session there. So then visit three. If everything is going well, this is when we get into more dynamic tasks, right? So after we've done some type of mobility work, always doing a quick reassessment when they come in, maybe a more, more general dynamic warm-up that involves all types of different lunge patterns, lunge variations. We'll oftentimes get into a lot of the classic agility drills, like your skipping variations, your karaoke's, butt kicks, high knees, all that kind of stuff. But then we're getting into more aggressive versions of the loading drills we did. So this is where we're going to get into split jumps, right? Where we're basically doing alternating lunges with some quickness, single leg hop test variations, cone drills, cone drills so that we can practice taking that toe through acceleration, deceleration, making cuts and direction changes. Mountain climber variations, like aggressive mountain climber variations, so we can aggressively, dynamically take those toes into load-bearing, quick dorsiflexion moments. And of course, you can get creative with this. There are endless combinations of agility drills, but if you are not sure where to start with someone that comes in with stiff big toe, this is a pretty general template that you can probably have some success with. Now. This doesn't always get it done in three visits. Sometimes these things can be more stubborn, a little more complex. Sometimes you have to be a little more patient with it, especially if it's more of a chronic issue. But generally, you just figure out what your terminal task is gonna be, just like anything else, and you reverse engineer it, and you'll figure out a way to win. So if you have any questions about this stuff, and like I said, if you wanna see some supplemental videos, I am happy to shoot some footage of doing these mobilizations, going through a few of these progressions with some patients, but Y'all initiate, hit me up at Better Faster Podcast or at BV the PT 
we announced it a couple weeks ago. Fitness Physio is coming back bigger and better than ever. We're going to put some periodic updates out there looking for sponsors. We had five good sponsors last time we did this back in 2020 before things got weird with all the stupid lockdowns and all the unnecessary things that the government did. But it looks like the world is opened back up now and we're going to get this thing rolling. So if you are interested in sponsoring an event, Again, hit us up on the inbox. We'll put out more information for that. Otherwise, this is the Better Faster Podcast. We're out. Give me the range and let me run. Cause I ain't never had too much fun.